politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, and property. It is all on the table, and we are all in to get things done and actually save ourselves. This is not about entertainment. I hope you are entertained by me and not bored. (laughs) Never a dull moment here, but that's not the point. The point is, if we believe we are facing existential crisis, to actually act accordingly. And it is Thursday, by the way, August 3rd. And as always, I appreciate five-star ratings on iTunes. Without that, well, all the empty calories entertainment shows will surpass us. So we got a lot going on here. we got a special guest tomorrow. We had some guests earlier this week. Um, We are going to have Chris McDaniel running for lieutenant governor coming up. So there's a lot of ground I want to cover, and I want to mainly talk about economy first. But when when we talk about economy, it's not just like the way we talked about it 25 years ago. It means they are coming for every last thing that you have. This is dead serious. What are we going to do about it? And this is really my critique, why I am so soul-crushed by my colleagues in the conservative industry. Because the way they are basically behaving is that they will take the things we're saying and they'll black pill it rather than red pill it. Meaning, oh, well, you know, there's nothing we can do anyway, so just Trump, Trump, and Trump will do everything. And then I'm like, well, he won't. Or how do you know he's going to win? And they'll be like, yeah, they'll steal the election. Okay, so then what is your plan? I don't know. Now, it's not really red, black pilled. It's actually green pilled. <laughs> it's green dollars. They're making money off of it. That's really what it is. But I do want to hit this intellectual point. Those of you who listen to me for more than one day know that I'm not just a prophet of woe and lamentation. Although the prophet of woe and lamentation, the Bible, is not just kind of lamenting as an end to itself, it was constructive. What I am motivated by is that it doesn't have to be this way. And in fact, because the left is so radical, existential, destructive, and very evidently and boldly so, unabashedly so, unambiguously so, it has provided us with really a once in a generation opportunity, not just to save ourselves from that, which we have to do, but maybe maybe to even push the envelope, push the Overton window back, maybe before it was. 10, 15 years ago, at least in parts of the country. That's what bothers me. I don't want to hear this business that all hope is lost, so I may as well be a schmuck and support a dirtbag and support the culture around that dirtbag and just be a schmuck. No, actually fight for what's right strategically on the issues that matter, the strategies. If you can't do it nationally, do it in a few states. Otherwise, why are we doing this? We are squandering opportunities. We are squandering down-ballot red state elections. We are squandering policies. We're squandering budgets. We're squandering the use of the news cycle every day to promote our objectives. We're squandering fortifying our own areas that should easily reflect our values, like Nehemiah by building a wall of red in a sea of blue. It doesn't have to be this way. Now, we're going to talk about squandering opportunities on elections later. We're going to have a candidate on. But I want to get into policies first. Isaiah 49, 24. So says the Lord. Even the captives of a mighty warrior can be taken, and the prey of a tyrant shall escape. And with your contender will I contend, and your sons I will save doesn't have to be this way. We think it's hopeless. They're too strong. They control everything. They control every country in the West. They control every industry, medicine, banking, law, politics, culture, you name it. There's no hope. But it's not true. You see how quickly, especially in this era with the news cycle, you get all these opportunities to turn things around that you didn't think existed a day before. I, 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 in that sense, and those of you who know me long enough won't be surprised, in that sense, I'm eternally optimistic. 
what I'm, and that's partially why I'm more pissed off than anyone else because my point is I don't believe in the black pill. I believe in the red pill. I don't believe it has to be this way. I believe God is giving us opportunities. And those who taunt you, I will feed their flesh. And as with sweet wine, they shall become drunk from their blood. And all flesh shall know that I am the Lord who saves you and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Then continuing in Isaiah chapter 50, Why have I come and there is no man? Why have I called and no one answers? Is my hand too short to redeem or do I have no strength to save? In other words, what does that mean? It means that God is going to do it for us. But you have to show up. You have to be there. He's like, hey, I'm coming to save you. No one's answering my call. No one's there. A lot of people think, oh, you know, by me fighting, I'm showing that it's in my hands, not in God's hands. Just the opposite. By you not fighting, you're showing you don't believe in God. You think it's all over. It's not true. It's not all over. You have to show up by you showing up. You're showing that I am worthy of God's salvation. And I will do what I can to help, knowing that naturally, without God's tailwinds provided to us, you know, what we face is too insurmountable. That's what I'm motivated by. And I want to give an example today through the prism of just going over the economic news. It used to be back in the day, things like debt and spending and the economy, they were tough issues for the right. Why? Because the left of yesteryear, the old left, wanted to obtain control how? By promising to give you everything. The new left wants to control you by taking everything away from you. So this one is actually easier to fight. You know, they used to say, we want everyone to afford things, it's not fair. We kind of sound like that now, except we're not advocating handouts, we're advocating to remove the government market distortions that have unnaturally created these things. But the point is still true. They were the ones that used to kind of harness that populist sentiment. Now they're open. We want to take everything away from you. We don't want you to have children. We don't want you to have sprawling homes and and nice suburban yards. We don't want you to own land. We don't want you to eat meat. We don't want you to have the basic comforts that even our grandparents had. They are regressive as anything. If you actually had a movement to fight this stuff, the energy stuff and the and, and the debt too. The debt used to be very tough because no one cared. Now people understand like, oh, whoops, this really does affect us. We have that opportunity. I mean, many of you have seen Fitch downgraded our credit, but the bigger story is that Janet Yellen announced $1.86 trillion in new debt issuance in just five months on top of the first half of the year, which was uh, 1.3, I want to say, 1.35. So we're talking about $3.2 trillion issuance of debt likely at the end of the year that we're in today, the calendar year of 2023, all four quarters. Remember this. Interest rates have never been this high since 2001 except in 2001 we had six trillion of debt and no annual deficit we actually had a surplus a little bit of a surplus those years today we hold roughly 31.7 trillion or 32.7 trillion in debt and deficits you know one and a half to two trillion indefinitely We're talking about a trillion dollars next year just on interest on the debt. We are in unchartered waters. So now is the time. There's two things. There's two things. It's their boldness in terms of their willingness to tell you they want poverty and scarcity that is easier to fight Okay. You know, even up to Obama's era, what what was the catchphrase? Free stuff, free phones. Remember that? It's kind of hard to beat that, right? 
Now they're like, we don't want you to have anything. It's demonic, but it's easier to fight. And then also, they've lost control of the narrative and of the economy. They used to have pretty tight control with the Federal Reserve, and they were pretty successful in keeping it to a certain way within the Overton window so people wouldn't rebel. This thing is off to the races. COVID, see, they went nuts with COVID because they wanted to crush our liberty, and they did. And they wanted to kill millions of people, and they did. But in that, they permanently lost control of the economy. We have a long-term COVID economy now that they spent and distorted so much, there's like, there's nothing to do anymore. So I want to get to both of those elements. The boldness to which they are advocating scarcity, and then the fact that they cannot pull that back to make it less painful so people don't realize. As I've always said, if you can't make people see the light, make them feel the pain and utilize it. Be ready there to show up with the best policies, elections, red state, you know, utilization, and, you know, the best messaging, and God will help. But if you're like, screw that, I'm just going to go and promote Andrew Tate. Well, yeah, that that, that ain't going to do anything for us. First, our sponsor today is our friends at Patriot Mobile. Again, you know, it's not all lost. Oh, they control everything. They control most things, but mobile service, you could actually support one of our own. Um, Every day we hear about another familiar brand that we used to grow up with, breaking our hearts and, you know, promoting trannyism. Woke mobile companies are no different, but Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Well, many of us have made the switch. You can keep your phone number, keep your phone. They use the, utilize the, all the coverage of all three networks. Um, and then when you switch, you're actually sending a message that you support free speech, religious freedom, sanctity of life, Second Amendment. That's what they support. So go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with offer code CR. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. Again, join the movement today at patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 878-PATRIOT. So... Here's a, here's a great example. There's an article, uh, op-ed at fox.com from Ben Liebman, or Lieberman. Um, he's a fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And he notes that they're coming for your air conditioners. Okay? The EPA just announced a 40% production cut in 2024 for hydrofluorocarbons. And that's what's widely used as refrigerants in your, you know, to make your air conditioning work. And that's on top of the 10% cut they already implemented, which has already really skyrocketed the price of air conditioning. You add that on, next year we're going to get crushed. Replacing refrigerant uh, loss from a leak um, has cost millions, at least $150 to $200 more than it used to be. By next summer, these stricter quotas will skyrocket that. And this is a great example. You know, you could say whatever you want. That, you know, back in the 90s, early 2000s, global warming pulled very well. Because, again, it was just theoretical at the time. It was very subtle. Here, they're openly at the point. No meat, no cars, no air conditioning. Now, there are a lot of demonic people, and we saw this under COVID. The the, the pagan Sharia, the pagan stoicism of Gen Z. You know, it's getting there, but it's nowhere near a majority of people. So, again, strike while the iron is hot. It's a God-given opportunity. If we had states that would get together, if every Republican would say, this is done. You can manufacture any appliance you want in these states free of all of this stuff. We're going to make products that that you rely on for comfort. No one wants to do without air conditioning. Uh, Abundant, cheap, good quality the opportunity has never been easier. You know what I'm saying? We don't even need to fight for Reagan conservatism versus uh, kind of the LBJ era, uh, you know, a hand up, a hand out type of thing. We are fighting people that are saying we're going to take everything from you. So this is really a very easy thing. And, And you're seeing that with the cars. Republicans could easily say, how dare you 
push something that only elites could afford, these electric vehicles, at the expense of, um, of everyone else. They're raising the cost of everything. Ford lost, they, they announced, some of you might have seen this, $4.5 billion estimated losses this year on top of $2.1 billion last year on EVs. That's, last year was 34000 per vehicle. Now it's even more. But what's interesting is, at the same time, Ford actually beat earnings expectations for Q2. They posted revenue of $45 billion, earnings of $0.72 cents a share, blowing out expectations of just $0.54 cents a share because they could afford that loss leader because government keeps it afloat. So technically, it's a loss, but not really. Between a mix of subsidies, mandates, taxpayer-backed loans, and regulations on competing vehicles, and monopolization of the, monopolization of the public square to remake the car market in America, you, know, you tell everyone, this is it, we're transitioning, so they could afford it. That's the economy we have today. And yet you have almost every one of these Republicans giving into this EV scam. Oh, let's electrify our vehicles. Again, the Republican legislature in Florida voted to electrify the, the vehicles, the state, you know, the state government vehicles, and then uh, had some other EV kind of handout stuff, and DeSantis vetoed it. It's not, it's not a sexy thing that grabs headlines, but it is extremely telling about what someone's going to do. But um, U.S. auto production has been the lowest on record for the past two years. Um, literally, like we used to average, you take the five-year average from 2012 to 2016, and even that was down. It's been going down forever. It was 346,000 units a year. It's down 60% to 141,000. Okay. So they're doing, it's like, ha, 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 the woke green energy, we're going to stop. They're doing it. They're doing it. If you don't stop them, this is done. And, um, you know, companies like Ford don't have to be competitive in the gas-powered market because government is giving them $9.2 billion in low-cost loans for their EV plants. So government is essentially the new customer while they could turn around and gouge consumers. Obviously, they're giving consumers a 7,500 credit to purchase an EV, which allows companies like Ford to keep this insolvent charade solvent enough just to keep it afloat, enough to box out the gas-powered market. Meaning, because without it, it wouldn't get off the ground. According to Edmonds, the average transaction price for new cars in May was close to $48,000. The percent of vehicles sold above 70,000 has risen from 3% to 10% in five years. At the same time, there are fewer affordable options. Cars under $30,000 make up just 8% of the supply, down from 38% pre-pandemic. What about credit? Car loans are now skyrocketed. Average monthly payments are approaching 750 bucks, up from 550 pre-pandemic. Um, car loans are... I want to say like average is like 7.58% now. It's the highest it's been since 2007. But again, the pricing of cars has like doubled since then. So yeah, we paid that in kind of like with mortgages. We've had interest rates that high, but not on prices this high. Obviously a used car, forget it. Um, Used cars are nearly 40% higher than when Biden took office. People can't afford car loans for the first time in history this year. The rejection rate of auto loans ex- exceeded the application rate. According to the New York, New York Fed, almost one-third of applicants expected their loans to be rejected. The cost of maintenance is a fortune. Insurance costs are now up 17%. Car insurance, 17% in one year. Gas prices are up to, what, 380 on average, a lot more elsewhere. And now with the SPR... Um, tapped out it's it's off off to the races with that it's gonna be over four in other words the government has you exactly where they want you they want you to own no car whatsoever not an ev even they want you dependent on 15 minute cities earning nothing owning nothing eating bugs with the ability to live 
the American dream and without the ability to live the American dream and travel, you know, freely. But this is only made possible by this electric vehicle transitioning that nearly every Republican governor is countenancing. This is nonsense. It's got to stop. And just understand the economy we've created. Again, I don't mind harnessing a populist talking point like you're hurting the little guy at the expe- you know, uh, you know, to, to favor the big guy if it's not a subsidy thing. Their thing is I want to give a hand. No, word point is just leave us alone, but you're purposely tilting the market. It's a much easier thing to articulate. Why don't we have a party that's giving this vision and then implementing policies based at that, uh, on that vision, especially in the red states? But this is what the shutdown fight should be about. Be a lot more, you know, popular than a fight over saving Mitha Trump. But nonetheless, as I said yesterday, you know, if you believe that's important, and I certainly believe the what's behind these prosecutions are important, should be defunded. But anyway, back to the economy. The median sales price of a home in the U.S. is now 560% of median household income. According to Mortgage Bankers Association for the week ending July 28th, mortgage purchase applications decreased by 3.2%, down 9.5% over the last five weeks. No one could afford it. And then no one wants to sell. So you can't, you know, so so now what's going to happen is, again, it's a vicious cycle. The more debt we have, the more inflation. The more inflation we have, the more they raise interest rates, and sometimes they naturally have to, the more they raise interest rates, the more people won't want to sell their homes, the more you don't even benefit from the prices going down. Typically, the, the prices go down as the mortgage rates go up, but we have this unique circumstance where we're, I mean, they're going to go down a little bit from the peak, but not enough. And then there's the fact that they created this fake economy. When you see GDP numbers, when you see earnings, it's all built off of literally a handful of companies. We have no economy left. We have Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, and things like that, and Apple. The U.S. saw a total of 340 new bankruptcies in the first half of this year. That's more than during the first half of 2020 with the lockdowns. And it was observed that bankruptcy filings for small businesses, that's sub subchapter 5 of chapter 11, had a 55% year-over-year increase. Okay? The top 10 stocks in the S&P now account for a record 31% of the entire index. Just eight years ago, they accounted for 17%. So they almost doubled their share. Okay? Again, this is all what the artificial central planning slamming the steering wheel into the direction of money printing and and zero interest rates, then slamming it the other way up, and then all this money, money and capital, because remember, like I said, when the government services debt, right, it's not just a matter of they create inflation, and they fund woke and weaponized government, and then the government gives handouts to their favorite people. That's true, but the servicing that the Federal Reserve does with the reverse repo is given over with beneficial rates, exclusively to the insiders right the the the, the largest global banks none of the, that that it's literally american capitalism version of socialism they make cat i call i call it venture socialism here here's another interesting thing the russell 2000 okay that's that's the small cap small like nasdaq is the big one you know russell 2000 small cap of the companies in the Russell 2000 are unprofitable this year. So again, a lot lot of this is, is, is shielded. A lot of this is obfuscated by just the profits of the few companies that are only profitable because of government policies. Again, like, I mean, United Health, their entire profit comes off of government. It's a joke. Warren Buffett has what's called the Buffett Indicator. It's an interesting thing. It's the total value of all publicly traded stocks divided by the GDP ratio. 
So a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have noticed, like, and, and this started with the dot-com bubble. You know, it used to be back in the day, the stock market somewhat reflected reality and the economy. Now the stock market's a joke. It's a complete, utter joke. We have a fake economy. It was all created by this fake fiscal and monetary policy. And it was all designed to rot out a proud, independent, middle, middle, upper income in this country that we always had, small businesses, decentralization, and it centralized the power and the money in the hands of the few companies and the few banks. So one of the indications is Buffett indicator is near all-time highs, significantly higher levels than during the dot-com bubble in like, you know, around 2000 or so, and then the 2008 financial crisis, the Great Recession. During the dot-com bubble, um, it was 140% of GDP. Now it's 170%. Meaning, again, the total value of all publicly traded stocks is almost twice our GDP. It's, it's a joke. It's all fake money. It's a fake economy. Of course, people are getting, the credit market is crushed. Interest rates surpassed 22%. They're the highest credit card interest rates. Delinquency rates on credit card loans from small lenders are now at an all-time high of 7.1%. That's higher than the 2008 peak. And yeah, it's good times. This message, what is so hard? Notice I'm not even talking about the dreaded culture issues. But just on econ, you don't hear a soul. You don't hear emotion. You don't hear intelligence in the voice of a Republican that talks and demonstrates how the green energy, money printing, debt, and growing, it, it's easier than ever to show how it harms the little guy. In the old days, it's kind of hard. You know, things are good. Looks like they're helping people. You know, you didn't see the pain from the debt and the inflation. So it's like, you're the one who's the Scrooge and, you know, kind of back in the the famous, what is it, Time Magazine cover, the Grinch who ruined Christmas, you know, talked about the the um, Gingrich-led shutdown in 1995 before Christmas over, over welfare and things like that. I mean, this is just so easy. And, and we, we could put a knife in the heart of green energy. EVs, carbon capture, solar and wind in red states. Red states account for the overwhelming majority of this stuff because of the amount of land they have. In that respect, it's even more than what I, I, I'm calling for them to reject it like they rejected until they didn't, Medicaid expansion, but it's even more because this is more weighted towards their states. They could totally end this EV transition. But if you facilitate it, we're done. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. They are bolder than ever in telling people they want them to live in poverty. So much easier to fight. And in addition to that, they, they don't have the ability to kind of like gradually do it. Like the frog in the boiling water. They used to always have a way of like, oh, whoops, okay, the pain's getting too high. Let's, let's, you know, and, 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 and Biden did that with the strategic petroleum reserves just for the gas prices, but that's done. I mean, they are out of bullets. They are out of bullets. The, the, the commodity futures signaling inflation, and this is already at an extremely elevated level. Like I said, it never really went down. It just, you know, the increase was lower for a few months. So it is this bad after like crushing the housing market, crushing the credit market. And it's like you threw yourself, you you threw the quickest interest rate increases in history and you got nothing to show for it. It's like, oh my gosh, now we got the pain of both. Yep. And the reason is because you can never overcome issuing $3.2 trillion in debt in one year. You just can't. Okay? And again, that's on top of the record. This is the second most ever. The most ever, of course, is 2020. That was over $4 trillion. So, you know, this thing is a runaway train.
But just know, just on the economy, the pro-human human flourishing, these people are anti-family, anti-human. Why is it so hard to get together a cogent message on this? I don't know. I don't get it. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. So we've been talking about lost opportunities, missed God-given opportunities. Every day, the left is so radical and so destructive. So on the one hand, there is a need for immediate redress. We can't get destroyed. Life, liberty, economy, property, culture. But on the other hand, it is so easy. It's never been this easy because they're so bold about it. But yet, as we're noting, I mean, why is it that we have the green energy scam in every red state? Why is it that we have the biomedical security state in every red state Department of Health except for Florida? Okay, why is it that you look at the education system um, in almost every state, every red state, and it may as well be a blue state? And you see in Florida, when they tried to change it, you have Republicans now dumping on it. I mean, one after another. And part of that is because of the missed opportunity on the primaries themselves. I, I, I hear every year, oh, Daniel, you got to vote for the Republican. Oh, we can't let the Democrat win. Now's not the time. All right, but then when we have the primary, everyone sleeps through it. And, and I've been doing this my entire career. Honestly, it has not gotten better one bit. And, you know, like I said, this year, we have primaries. It's a funny, funny year. We have elections in three states. Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi. We should run the table there. But instead, I, you know, I talk about it a lot. We missed opportunities in Kentucky. Well, in Mississippi, there's a very important race for lieutenant governor. And we talk about, a, a lot of times, Chris McDaniel, state senator, he is challenging uh, Delbert Hoseman, who's the incumbent. And in Mississippi, lieutenant governor really runs the legislature uh, in some ways more powerful than, the, powerful than the governor. You find that a lot in a few of these southern states. And again, we wonder why these legislatures... They are not interposing against the federal tyranny. They're not addressing these issues. And in fact, when they are in session, they often do the opposite. This is why we don't change the roster. Um, you know, the only thing conservative I see about my colleagues in this fake conservative industry, it's not a movement, it's an industry, is they like conserving the status quo. They're conservative in all the wrong ways. They're scared of change. So it's like, and I talk about this with the presidential election, too. There's nothing new about it. I've been doing this for 15 years. It's like, well, Daniel, I'm all for it, but you got to get a candidate who I'd like to see more of this. or that. Basically, they want a candidate where the challenger is ahead in the polls from day one of the incumbent, which never happens in a primary, and then they'll support him. Yeah, but then you get what you get, and, and this is where we are. In many respects... You know, this is not just about the lieutenant governor of, of Mississippi, but Chris McDaniel embodied this, where he ran for Senate against a liberal fixture in that state, uh, Thad Cochran, in 2014, and against all odds, he beat him in the first round. This never happens, never, ever happens. Um, essentially, has never happened in American history that a sitting, long-standing Republican was defeated in a primary and where, you know, he, it wasn't like an appointed Republican and it wasn't a convention. It was a popular primary. And, but, but there they have a runoff. And, you know, a couple people finally rallied to him once he won and he looked popular, but not enough. And there were a lot of interesting shenanigans in that election. I'm not going to rehash it, but they certainly got a lot of Democrats to cross over and vote um, because really it's, it's a uniparty and, and they won. And then he ran again for another seat, Cindy Hyde-Smith. I mean, we, we literally don't have a single conservative elected statewide in a place like Mississippi. It's ridiculous what we are squandering. And guess what? You know, they get Trump to endorse her, and that makes the difference, as we saw in many races. And here we are. And we're lamenting, oh, why is the Senate, you know, 90-10 left? Why, when it comes to governors... Or lieutenant governors, where you know they have some degree of authority in some states, we're talking about DeSantis every day. But why aren't we talking about 10, 15, 20 others? This is why. So there is a primary on Tuesday. Not a lot of time left. There's Chris McDaniel for LG. That's F-O-R-L-G dot com to check it out. But in addition, we have him here in the flesh. Hey, Chris, 
I almost slept through the race myself, but caught you a couple days <laughs> until the end. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, we go back a, a long way now in, in, in the trenches here, and I, you know, if I were you, I would be like, what the heck? I'm done. But here you are, your third time, you know, running statewide. Just tell us a little bit about the state of play between you and, and Delbert Hoseman, where you see this race headed and what it's about. Well, you summed it up pretty well. I mean, he is a uh, typical old-school Democrat that just changed parties. I mean, he didn't change his governing philosophy. Um, He's that guy on every, not, not on some issues, on every issue. Uh, we had a chance to eliminate the income tax last year. He wouldn't do it. We had a chance to get rid of the grocery tax. He wouldn't do it. He's done nothing to push back against the uh, Democrats. In fact, he's promoted Democrats. We only have 16 Democrats, Daniel, only 16 in the entire Senate. And he appointed 13 of those 16 to be powerful chairmen. <laughs> so uh, you, you think about this guy, he's going to run as a empowers the party that's literally trying to tear this country down and that's what we're up against and um you hit on a lot of points earlier and it is frustrating because you have states like mississippi they're supposed to be these bright red conservative states and we just can't seem to elect people who are conservative because people are so easily misled by all the money they're so easy deceived about you know uh, yesterday he had four direct mail pieces and mailboxes across the state four um, he spent 400000 on TV this last week, and people watch it, and they just fall for it. And then they complain. They say, well, why aren't things changing? Well, they're <laughs> not changing because we're not paying attention enough to make the change happen. And, we're not uh, it, it, paying it, attention. It, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. I like what you said. And I actually saw one of the mailers, and, and this is what's very difficult, that we're trying – no other party has this problem where – they, I mean, and you you say this all the time, in the legislature, a guy like Hoseman and most of your colleagues there in the chamber, in the state senate, they're quite open about what they believe with. And, and, and you know, anyone who watches the legislature will see that. But when it's on the campaign trail, so I looked at the piece of mail and I'm looking at this and basically they're saying that you were silent or missing when it came to standing up against the tranny stuff and you know, in all the important conservative fights, you were silent or missing. T- tell yeah. us about that. Well, it's funny. All you have to do is go check the public record. It shows I voted yes. I mean, it's, it's gotten to a point in this world, uh, unfortunately, that they just say whatever they want to say and hope it sticks. All you have to do is go to the Senate record, take a look at my vote, and you'll see that I was there each time it came up, and I supported it each time it came up. So I don't know what, what else to say about that. It's just the way they play the game. They throw that stuff out there. and I, You know, Daniel, look, there's a disconnect here in this world, right, between the voters who are outraged at the status quo, and then those same voters will, will vote for the exact same people over and over and over again. They yep. just can't seem to recognize what they're doing. And, look, money plays a big role into that. He's probably outspent us six to one. And, look, these uh, folks out there looking at it, and they're not paying attention. And what a sweet man he is. But that's the problem. Yep. America has to wake up. And we all have to wake up because right now we're just, we're just uh, lost in sea. We're just lost in sea. That's all there is to it. Wow, that, that's very powerful. We talked a lot yesterday about this morning console poll. It had the fave unfave of all 100 senators. Mind you, not a single incumbent was defeated if either party last November um, and all these guys in, in these deep red states, they have very high approval ratings and they're kind of nice guys. Like you said, they're viewed as nice, amicable people. But if you would pull the people, do you want the green energy? Okay. Do you want the COVID shots? And you know, they'd say no. Uh, but these guys are openly like that. Have you, do you feel through this campaign? You're, you're a couple days out that you've, started to bridge that gap a little bit where you are bridging the perception with the reality or the reality with the perception? I think so. I think so. We've done a, uh, we worked really hard to get the message out there and it's starting to resonate and we feel like we've got big momentum going down the stretch, but you know, he's going to buy all that TV, right? All that TV, all those direct mail pieces. And the question is, is whether or not people will take a chance just a second of their lives to go actually research the claims. Just one second trying to figure out exactly what's going on here for real. And if they do, yeah, well, one's going away. And if they don't, we're going to be stuck in the same situation we've been in for some time. You know, one of the things that I find very disheartening is that you go into the Department of Education, Department of Health, 
Department of Public Works, welfare, whatever you have in a given red state, and you look at the way they operate, they're nearly indistinguishable from blue state yeah. departments. Okay, I mean, you find that, and, and that includes usually the top picks. Um, you know, there's a reason why Dr. Joe Latipo in Florida is the only Surgeon General or health director that's out there jousting with CDC. The other ones agree with it. Um, what I find is that you guys in the legislature are underpaid. You know, it's very part time. And then the executive branch is just the, the asymmetry between the executive branch and the legislature is much greater in the states than even at a federal level. It's better at a federal level. As lieutenant governor in Mississippi, what do you feel you can do to bring accountability to these executive agencies with a part-time legislature? Good point. Um, remember, in our state, the LG is an overpowered position, very, very powerful. Uh, he controls the committee appointments, the assignment of chairman, and also the direction the bills go. In other words, if he wants to assign a bill to a friendly chairman, that bill will pass. If he wants to assign the bill to a killing committee, that bill will die. He's the gatekeeper for all that legislation. So. What you can do there is find ways to empower oversight because you're right, man. We've got so many agencies out there that are behaving, uh, as you would say, just as uh, blue state agencies would behave. And there's no place for that. Sometimes you have to spend some political capital to get things done. And that's something else I want to offer the people of this state. We have so many politicians playing it careful because they're more concerned about a long-term political career than they are about getting things done. Sometimes you have to spend that capital. And if you get things done and it costs you a re-election, that's okay. We just don't have the time or the privilege to sit back and allow all this time to pass without getting big, bold things done. To, to the point, when Democrats control a chamber, they push massive pieces of liberal legislation. When Republicans control chambers, uh, we basically just sit there and, uh, and, uh, and smile at the Democrats and try to reach across the aisle. We have to change that mentality. And I'm going to change that mentality in Mississippi for sure. So – Part of had the problem with changing that mentality, uh, last week I identified, I think I, I, and I think this is accurate, I broke down at its core why red states aren't red to two reasons. It's, there's two impediments. There's corporate politics and racial politics or identity, broadly, broadly identity politics. Republicans don't want to be called racist um, or names, so that ties into cultural issues, but it also ties into economic issues because, you know, oh, you're taking this away, oh, so you're a racist – and then, and then corporate politics, because you know, at the end of the day, especially in a smaller state like Mississippi, um, you're going to have a couple of industries really overpower, and often they do represent the largest employers in the state. And you know, this is—it's—it's it's not so much like these guys are less conservative, more conservative. It's just they're not going to punch through it. What DeSantis has done that I think a lot of people don't realize is that it's not that he's just done more conservative things than other people have done it's that he denuded those two things those two things he showed i just don't care and that's the whole disney fight the whole african-american studies he literally took ap african-american studies you know republicans don't want to touch something that could have a third or fourth order of magnitude uh accusation of affecting a special interest he's like no that's garbage there's problems in that curriculum it needs to be reformed you can't do it until we change it and right. now Republicans called him names, including certain people who should know better. But, um, you know, he powered through that. The problem, and this is a tough question. I want to see how you're going to answer it. The one thing DeSantis has going for him is Florida is a popular destination. It is a wealthy state. So it, it enabled him a lot more leverage to say, you know, screw you. I'm going to do what I want. Mississippi is a poor state. And, and, and it's dependent on a lot of that. They've been acculturated to be dependent on on some of these programs. Medicaid expansion is a great example. You're going to have the identity politics and you're going to have the corporate politics, all the, you know, the medical cartel. How do you fight through something like that and similar issues? It's, it's called having a backbone. I mean, look, Daniel, no matter what we do, they're going to call us names. We've seen evidence of that. I mean, you, you take, uh, you bend once and they may applaud you, but the instant they don't get their way, they're like spoiled children. They're still going to call you names. They're still going to ridicule you. We've got to get to the point where we just don't care. You know, at some point, those labels, they can't stick. At some point, it's just more empty rhetoric. Lead. Just lead. And sometimes when you lead, you're going to catch some arrows. But that's the one thing I didn't like about the DeSantis. He kind of stuck his chest out there and said, you know what, let's just get this done. And he got it done. And all the name calling in the world can't stop the uh, can't stop the success that he's had. 
so that's kind of the way I see it. I'm just, um, I'm tired of the labels scaring Republicans off the battlefield. Man, we're losing this whole country, and we're scared of getting called a name. What cowards. What cowards. I mean, you got to get out there and fight when we still have places to fight. And Mississippi is one of those places. We still have good conservatives here. We just need to win this thing and push back. And we can do that August the 8th. You know, you, know, you, you definitely do. Definitely um, you know, have that opportunity because, again, and especially on all this cultural stuff, I mean, you shouldn't have any of this in your public schools, any of this uh, right. nonsense, because um, – you know, generally the woke stuff is a white liberal thing and you don't have that many in Mississippi. You have a lot of African-Americans and you have a lot of white conservatives. Um, but I, I would imagine, am I not correct, that there's not much of a market for, for that stuff? Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably accurate. The problem, though, is, is that we're still, as a legislature, still hesitant to intervene. You don't wait <clears throat> – for the problem to occur before you pass legislation. You gotta get proactive, you gotta get ahead of this stuff because we see the national trends and we see what's about to happen in our state and we're already getting reports of it. Uh, so I wanna get proactive and get ahead of this before it gets here for sure. So one of the things that's concerning me is not only are they governing like Democrats, but but also because they're blurring the distinction as, as, and as you mentioned, empowering them, you're finding that Democrats are downright resurging. So we see this in Kentucky where, you know, the polls have the Democrat winning the governorship there, you know, against McConnell's former staffer who's the nominee. And then in Mississippi, am I missing something that this guy Presley, this Democrat, is now running neck and neck with, with the incumbent Republican? Yeah, I don't know that it's neck and neck. I think it depends on which polling you look at and some of these polls can be pretty manipulated. As you know, you can oversample or undersample, do whatever you think you need to do to get a result. I do believe, however, that Presley is trying to position himself as a non-national Democrat. In other words, as a Southern populist. Now, people, I don't think, will fall for that because anybody with any sense knows that sure. he is an extension of the National Party. But that populism does sell to a small percentage of people. He talks about getting rid of the grocery tax. He talks about the rich versus wow. the poor. He talks about big corporations, you know, uh, fighting and, and hurting little people. That resonates with some. I don't think it's going to be enough, but it's still the fact that we're having this conversation of what should be a deeply red state is, is very, very troubling. And what people don't realize is if we can't stop the tide here, literally in the next four <laughs> to eight years, where, where do you stop it? And if we're not careful, we'll be Georgia. We'll be Georgia in eight years, and we'll have two Democrat U.S. senators, but more importantly – the, the, the battleground would have lost a very important part of its fortress in, in this very conservative red state. And I, we can't allow that to happen. But we're right on the brink, and that's what people don't realize. They say, why should I get involved in a race in Mississippi? Well, because you're about to lose two U.S. senators in about eight years. You're, you're about to lose the, 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 the conservative states you always took for granted if we don't win this thing soon. If, if you don't get a foothold there in, in statewide elected positions, which we don't really have – Right. Um, you're going to have that problem. I think that's a terrific point. Like, you know, we've been sold a bill of goods typically um, that people like you are less electable in a general election than than the country club. But I think anyone with a lick of sense looking at the political science right now with where the country is or where the world is, you're, you're going to get outflanked. You're going to get outflanked with a corporatist Republican um, mm -hmm. To the extent that they could win or – yeah, I mean you're probably right. It's not the point they could win at this point, but they're going to make them spend a lot of money. They're going to make it competitive. Um, they might you know, needlessly uh, lose a, you know, some supermajority status in the legislature, some legislative seats, I would think. You know, that's, that's just criminal. There's no reason for it to allow um, basically – a party, and and that's what the guy is. Because if you're running as a Democrat, yeah. you know, we, you know, you're you're part of that. That believes in you um, owning nothing, eating bugs, and being happy. Somehow <laughs> they could harness a populist message. That's that's criminal, as we talked about today. So what are what are some of the key messages you're honing in on in the closing hours? Well, naturally, we want to eliminate the income tax in this state. We, you know, Mississippi, we need jobs, Daniel. We, we, we've had enough handouts over the years, and I think our people are sick of the handouts. They're sick of a culture out there that sits there and waits on government checks. We've tried at Lyndon Johnson's way since 64. It's just not working. We're still trapped in poverty. We still don't have the job and the economic success we need. 
let's try Goldwater's way. Let's try it Reagan's way. And let's figure out how to inject free market capitalism here and grow this state the right way through private enterprise. Getting rid of the income tax would do that. Number two, we're going to war with the woke culture. You know, I love DeSantis and his spirit fighting that woke culture in Florida. It's going to happen right here, too. And if those university professors think they can brainwash these children going to colleges and universities, we're going to end tenure. We're going to bring them home. Same applies to public schools. If you're going to be out there teaching, you know, 50 genders and not two and talk about sexual orientation as a matter of privilege, uh, you're going to find a new job. It's just things like that across the board. We also need functional or structural changes like term limits. We need to find a recall mechanism that works. We need to re-implement our ballot initiative process for, so that people can actually petition their government and get changes. So, so many day one agenda issues. But what it boils down to is this, is conservatism versus liberalism, regardless of the party. Uh, Delbert Hoseman uh, refused to endorse Donald Trump in 16. He refused to endorse him in 20. But he had no problem endorsing Mitt Romney. That should be all you need to know. Mitt Romney is hardly a conservative. It never has been. And for a Mississippi Republican to endorse Romney, goodness gracious, how far do you have to fall from the tree, right? Well, you know, Mitt Romney, unfortunately, is really part of the median of the party. And that's what we're seeing, at least at an elected level. Um, but, you know, that's that's the question. They certainly don't run on that. i got to give him credit. He's certainly not running uh like that and and that's what's very confusing they i always joke around you know they they have more money to tout themselves as more conservative than the challenger precisely because they're going to do the opposite which is why they get that money yep that's right that's exactly right the donor class knows this intuitively they give them more than enough money to get reelected they strike the backroom deals nothing ever changes but they're able to spend that money with great success to a population whether it's here or somewhere else, it just isn't paying attention the way it should be. That's what it boils down to. You know, one more quick thing I just thought of that now that you mentioned the donors before you sew this up, you, you know, what, obviously a big industry is going to be farming. You know, you have different types of farming in Mississippi. And, you know, Mississippi, I believe, does have mandatory E-Verify, but it's like all these states, they don't enforce it. I mean, they don't. Um, how are you going to thread that needle where – you enforce, you know, interior enforcement, but then they'll say, oh, we don't have workers. Well, look at it this way. Uh, all those forces are already lining up against me. And if they can't beat me now, they won't be able to beat me later. Uh, we're going to enforce the law. If they don't like it, that's tough. Uh, we know here in this state, I'll give you an example. Uh, we hear all these numbers about unemployment and how low it is, but that's not really the number that matters. We're talking about workforce participation, and we got a lot of folks here that aren't out working. It makes little sense that mm. we can't find a way to get those people jobs and get them off the, uh, the government welfare programs. And so, um, you know, it, it's, simple, it's as simple as having a database and overlapping it and offer them, offer them a job. And if they don't come to work, cut them off. It's that simple. Wow. It's time to get back to work in Mississippi. That, that, it's funny. I didn't even mean to jump into that juxtaposition, but that, that's the thing. So you, you go and you basically take and, – and, and there's record numbers of working-age males um, yeah. that are not in the labor participation force. This is a national problem, and they bring in you know carte blanche from all over the world, depress wages, like, well, you know, yeah. what, what do you want? I want to do the job, and then offer the welfare on the one hand, depress their wages on the other hand. Well, yeah, you get that vicious cycle, so you're going to go after both of them. Man, I wish you luck. Um, you. I I don't know how you have such a, you know, <laughs> energetic disposition because I'm very dispirited. You know, from our time together those other yeah. years, and I, I I I would have thought you'd be done with this, but God bless you for doing this. Again, how could people fo follow your campaign and also help contribute? Well, the website is senatormcdaniel.com. Just SenatorMcDaniel.com. And if you come to Facebook, you'll see Senator Chris McDaniel. That's the big page we use. Just type in Senator Chris McDaniel and uh, come be a part of this. We've got uh, just a few more days left. And any help you guys could give, I would very much appreciate it. Well, we've got to even up the score, and we certainly will be watching it. Uh, you know, God bless you for your energy, your willingness to do this yet again. And hopefully third, third time's a charm. We'll speak to you on the other side. Take care. Yes, sir. Thanks, Daniel. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that was Senator Chris McDaniel. So much nostalgia there for me because it just embodies the fact that there were some of us that were trying to do this long before Trump. And and he got in our way, endorsed against him. Uh, had he endorsed Chris McDaniel, he would be a senator. 
And I can tell you one thing about Chris. It, it's truly hard to meet a guy who's less PC than him. Like, he just doesn't care. He's been in the state Senate for many years. Again, ran for Senate twice. Now he's running for lieutenant governor, which is really the pivotal position to making the Mississippi legislature worthy of something. And and again, that's ultimately what needs to be done in these states. Um, you need a message that we're going to be independent and he's not going to play that game. And, you know, the, the old generation of Mississippi politicians, at least they'd be culturally conservative, but then on all like the dependency on the federal government, all that stuff, forget it. But now you get these like Delbert Hoseman types and even on those issues, bizarrely, They'll, they'll, they'll fake it in a campaign. They'll complain about it. But anything to deal with this. And and again, you look at the Mississippi University of Mississippi system. I mean, it's like all of them. K through 12, too. And and again, that's ridiculous because, um, you know, the way Mississippi is oriented, it's just between the large black population in the, in the Delta and then obviously, you know, the most of the white population. No one wants that. But I guarantee you, and I, I've seen articles before showing this, I mean, you go to the bureaucrats running these agencies, they, they sound more like, you know, Vermont people than, than they do from Mississippi. And, you know, these are the races that matter. This is what is going to matter. You know, you want to get the governorship too. It's, it's tough. I mean, I, um, I was in contact with the, with the doctor who's running for – uh, governor, but I didn't even see a campaign website. And I asked them, could you show me the campaign website? Never heard back. So I was like, look, I'm not going to waste people's time with, with that degree. There's got to be some sort of threshold that, that we talk. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good read on this. We'll find out next week. I mean, historically, like I said, I just don't have a good feeling, but you never know. It could surprise you. Um, he does have more name ID after, you know, all this stuff, all, all these years. And, Never take that away from him. If not for that cheating, he won. He won that first round against, you know, Cochran was like every building is named after him in Mississippi. No one thought he can do it. He did. And it's just, it's a disgrace how, you know, it's not just the fact that, you know, no one's helping him, no one's focusing on it. But if you have people like him, let's say you're kind of an aggressive, smart lawyer, you know, in a, in a legislature, you're fighting the rhinos. You're the head of the Freedom Caucus there, uh, that type of thing. He 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 started this caucus, his own caucus, um, and now they ha- they actually do have a Mississippi Freedom Caucus in the House. He's in the Senate, and he wants to run for governor. Could he count on the national MAGA apparatus to have his back? No, no. And that's the problem. And, and often you you specifically can't because the incumbent Republican will just cry straight to Trump and say, I love you, Trump. And remember, the, the redder the state is, the more likely the rhino will have no problem openly embracing Trump because it doesn't cost him anything. So he'll embrace the Chamber of Commerce and Trump at the same time, and he gets the best of both worlds. You know, again, at least if it's like a competitive state, so it takes some sort of courage or principle to back Trump. Because you know it's gonna, you're gonna get some blowback in the general election on that, but here it doesn't cost them anything. And again, I mean, it's a disgrace that the MAGA movement is not in here. I mean, Chris McDaniel was MAGA before it, MAGA was created, and uh, these are the type of things we need. And, and let me just before we close up another example: uh, one of the best congressmen, one of the leaders of the Boehner, of the McCarthy fight. Congressman Dan Bishop, he was the one who wrote the original tranny bathroom bill. He was in the legislature. He's in Congress. He announced today he is running for attorney general in North Carolina. We have a Democrat there now. You have super majorities in the legislature. So there's a lot of potential, but you have a Democrat governor. Um, there is this popular lieutenant governor who's going to challenge him. You know, I still, I'm not sure if his bite is quite as good as his bark, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but it looks like, I mean, he's just going to own the nomination, so he will challenge the Democrat, Cooper, or, or whoever else is running there for governor next year. That's going to be important, but AG. AG is huge. These are the type of races we need to focus on. Um, this is how we are going to change things. This is how you're going to create red state sanctuaries through these sort of races. AG, L- lieutenant governor is only in a few states. Other states is kind of a nothing position. Mississippi, it's like governor. So, um Again, we're going to focus on the issues that matter, the campaigns that matter. 
Let me know if you feel this kind of a legit guy that has a shot that I am missing running somewhere. Let me know. Um, it is a little bit early for 2024. This is 2023, so the primary is on Tuesday. Um, help in any way. We're going to have a special show on whole health. Are they killing us, our soil, our air, and our food? Tomorrow with Dr. Goddick. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns for him or Chris or any other guest. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.